everybody. You're listening to Angel Nears, the podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where experienced operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov. Our guest today is Hasib Boudani, co-founder and CEO of Rayface Systems, a provider of enterprise-grade Kubernetes management for today's modern applications. Today, we're talking with Hasib about his journey as a serial entrepreneur and his mission of helping DevOps deploy modern applications on Kubernetes with ease. But before we get into that, Hasib, welcome to the show. Oleg, nice to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to hear from you and learn a little bit about your journey. So for myself and the listeners, uh, why don't you just get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? Uh, happy to. So we have been working on Rafi for what is it now? a little over three years now. Uh, a number of my colleagues here at Rafe, them and I have worked together before. In fact, actually, the, the, the joke here is there's a few people on the team who have worked with me for four companies now. I don't know why they keep showing up. So with some indicator for sure. It, you know, what's in, interesting about startups is, and at least this is my own perspective, every startup that I worked on as a CEO or even, even before, it's because either myself or somebody, right, some founder, they lived through some pain. And they had to solve it. Like, I got to solve this, right? And that became this crazy idea that became a company, that became a product, that became essentially happy customers at the end of the day. At Rafe, uh, we're solving a problem that has to do with DevOps, infrastructure, automation, et cetera. And in our previous startup, we lived through this as consumers of these technologies. So the previous startup was a security company. And uh, their infrastructure was, you know, was a, something that we would use to deploy an application. And the pain we lived through in hindsight was, I guess, dire enough that it compelled us to think about, why is this so hard? Why, why aren't there no good solutions for this? But you know, companies existed at the time who, who certainly solved this problem, but you know, in, in our opinion, maybe that could have been earned better. And uh, particularly when you come from that kind of experience, I think you end up building a better product because you're sort of doing this it's it, you're, of course you're building products for your customers, but you're sort of building this for yourself. And when you do that, the level of passion is unmatched. But you're not doing this because hey, I saw a gap, I'm going to make money. You're really trying to solve a problem. And uh, to me, I know, I mean, it may sound like you know a silly notion that you're solving a problem for yourself. But the the thing is, you used to be that buyer, and you're solving a problem that you have clarity that if I solve this for myself, then there's hundreds of thousands of uh, companies out there who are. Experiences experiencing the same pain, and they will buy from you. And to me, that's like you know the the best way to think about startups. Uh, that's what's worked for me till date. Hopefully, you know it works in the future also. And I imagine this is kind of a modern problem. You weren't working at your previous startup too long ago, right? Like this this problem isn't already solved, right? It's it's still ongoing, right? Yeah, you know the the thing about modern applications is look, I think we've, we've all been hearing about kind of digital transformation and uh, you know kind of modern uh, application modernization. I think we've been hearing this for five, six, seven years now in some way, shape, or form, uh, and people have been talking about this concept called containerization, where you write to your applications as microservices for a number of years now. You know, high-end startups, Bay Area, New York kind of companies, I guess Miami these days, right? I mean, there's companies out there who've been thinking about you know, containerized applications, microservices for a long time, right? Or anybody who's been, who's, who's uh, started a company or work, started working on a new project in the last, I don't know, three years, four years, this is what you do. But think about a traditional enterprise. Think about an insurance company that's been selling an app for a long time. They probably, quote unquote, wrote like a, like a web app 10 years ago, 15 years ago. 
And now they have to modernize, right? Now, potentially, they're moving from a, from a data center to a cloud, and this is a perfect opportunity to rethink their tech stack. For them, you know, this is new. In fact, you know, here's something that, you know, that we found now, and, and to me, this is a critical insight. If you go to a show like KubeCon, which is a big kind of Kubernetes event, it feels like, my God, everybody in the world is talking about Kubernetes. Yeah, but they're all early also, right? So I think many of us kind of get caught up in, in, the, you know, in, the, in the high end, like, you know, really experts who, who are part of a small community, like a KubeCon community, and you kind of, you kind of feel like, wow, this, market, this market's already done, right? No, it's actually starting now. So over the last year, most enterprises have now started thinking, okay, well, I got to do something about my traditional applications. And in some respects, I think the, the, you know, the pandemic probably also forced a lot of people to think about, well, what is the new way for me to interact with my, my customers? I got to think about better user experiences. I got to think about contactless payments, et cetera, et cetera. I got to modernize, right? So that's what's happening right now. And I think this market is early. Uh, seems like we timed this company perfectly with a product that seems to make it super easy for customers to automate the infrastructure for modern applications. So I'm really looking forward to the next couple of years or so. Yeah, that's really exciting. And we have a question later about timing. So I'm going to I'm gonna bookmark that, save that. So I feel like to, to understand this conversation and, and uh, you know, set it up properly, we should talk about two, two things you mentioned, right? Kubernetes and eventually containerization. But let's start with Kubernetes, just for someone who has no idea what it is. Uh, what is it? Fundamentally, Kubernetes is an orchestration engine. It's a, it's a way to help schedule a number of different services, applications, you know, processes, etc., in one or more servers. So you have n number of machines, servers, virtual or physical. They all sort of come together into a pool of compute. And then some engine, in this case Kubernetes, determines, okay, this application needs these, this much compute, this application needs this much compute, and I'm going to make sure I allocate this much uh, compute for you. I'm going to put this application on this node and this other application on that node, et cetera. I'm, I'm clearly, I'm, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm being reductive in many ways. Kubernetes does a lot more than that. But fundamentally, that's the goal. How do I abstract away the, the vagaries of scheduling and ongoing operations of applications in a cluster? That's, that's what it is. It does a really, really, really good job of that. I think it's, it's fundamentally a game-changing thing that we, of course, did not invent. We are consumers of this technology, but it is going to make our applications over the next 10 years simpler and better. Just hands down, this is the winner. It's awesome. So you said it's it's sort of like um, about orchestrating all those things in concert. So I'm imagining kind of a maestro uh, sort of waving his baton and, and, and making sure all the right things happen at the right times. Um, can you talk about can you talk about containerization? Sure. So so why containerize at all? So so before this concept of containers, most applications were getting packaged as this thing called a virtual machine. Before which, obviously, we were running servers, bare metal. I mean, so so for the longest time, we we as an industry have been looking for a way to kind of reduce the footprint of of a, of a specific application without having to bring along the baggage of, you know, what's underneath the application. So here, what, what do I mean by that? So let's say an application needs a specific operating system and it needs, I don't know, some driver or whatever. So what we used to do was we would package something called a virtual machine that we could run on, you know, on some server or, uh, uh, on top of something called a hypervisor. So there's a company called VMware. They made a massive business out of uh, helping people take a single uh, physical machine and running multiple 
virtual machines on it. Why? Because, well, the server, let's say, has 32 cores in it, but one of my each of my applications, I don't know, maybe needs two or three or four cores. So instead of wasting the entire machine, wow, maybe I can run seven or eight of these. That saves money. That makes a lot of sense. Happened. It's a, it's a, it's been happening now for 15, whatever, 20 years. It's awesome. But then on top of that, now here's a challenge. Uh, when I package my application as a virtual machine, when I need to run it elsewhere, that virtual machine is now pretty big. It could be a multiple gigabytes or many, many gigabytes, depending on what's happening. But that makes it really cumbersome to move around. So how do I make it go faster? So some folks had the idea that, well, well, really the application or is really that process that that you know that gets executed on the operating system. But then that process needs things around it. It needs an environment. So what if you could take that process and the environment around it and package it as a container? And now this container brings its environment with it. And effectively, so long as any other system in the world provides a place where a container can be run, it's just going to run. It becomes completely portable. And the infrastructure underneath becomes immutable. That's the promise of, of containers. Yeah, in all these definitions, I mean, quite reductive. I'm not trying to you know, provide technical definitions, but trying to kind of express the value, right? Why do people do this in the first place? If I write an application and I package it as a container, the way it runs on my laptop and the way it runs on a machine in Amazon versus the way it runs in a data center, there's no difference. It's just going to work. That's beautiful, right? So that portability, that, that infrastructure immutability, that abstraction layer, basically, it's, it's, it makes life easy. Development becomes easier. My laptop now can be used to de- deploy and, and develop. But then the same application, I can be comfortable in knowing that that application is going to work in production. But uh, other, whereas before, when we, we were used to do testing, et cetera, our environments needed to sort of look the same as the environment that's going to be in production. That is pretty expensive. Doesn't need to happen anymore. Why? Containers. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful concept. But they need to be orchestrated, right? One application is going to be n number of containers. Maybe in some cases you run n number of containers per application. Somebody needs to manage all this stuff, right? How many am I going to run? What if one of them restarts? What if what if uh, I cannot start it? Well, that's where orchestration comes in, and that's what Kubernetes does for containers. So Kubernetes is effectively a container orchestration mechanism. So I'm trying to understand the value a little bit more because it, it sounds like, you know, things are faster. You run, you can run more machines. Maybe you can scale it up. I'm not sure. But it sounds like, well, it sounds like you're very invested in this, right? Obviously. Why is this the future? What, is, what are some of the key factors that are, that are driving people towards using Kubernetes or, or being a part of this space? So a few concepts to think about. So one is why, why bother with containers? I think that's a function of portability moving faster. Uh, but then what is the impetus for more to containers? I think maybe that's a more important question. It's, it's, it's microservices. So I'll give you the example of our own SaaS product. So every, I don't know, every six weeks or so, we have a major uh, upgrade to our SaaS platform where we change kind of fundamental infrastructure level stuff. But the user interface of our platform, it changes a few times a week. If this was one big application, we would go at the pace of the slowest component in our system, or maybe the most, uh, you know, I don't know, critical component system, right? So maybe then if we were had one big fat application, we could not upgrade any faster than, I don't know, every six weeks because the infrastructure team will only go that fast because their stuff is the most critical, right? It has to be rock solid. Okay, so who suffers? Our customers suffer. Because, well, if I have a feature to deliver tonight, I can't do it. I got to wait for these, you know, 50 other teams to get ready before I can deliver. 
that sucks. So what microservices do is they say, well, each of these subcomponents of an application, we're going to write them individually, and we're going to agree on the interface by which they talk to each other. And we're going to sort of have this loose coupling between these microservices, right? So micro, part of the bigger service. So the UI team or whatever, right? They kind of do, do what they do. They run at their own pace, so long as the interface doesn't change. And maybe there's another team which is writing some other layer, right? So I'll give another example in our platform. So in our platform, we have this documentation microservice built in that it's so well designed. I can change it if I find a bug in our in our content. I can change it. I can roll out. Uh, you know, I can make a change. I can say, okay, here's a pull request. Somebody's going to approve it. Boom! It just goes to production. Entirely different microservices. So this loose coupling, what is it doing for our customers? It's a allowing us to move faster, which means we can deliver value to our customers faster. That's it. That's the goal. It fundamentally allows companies to move so much faster than they used to before because a priori, because seven, eight, nine different teams have to come together in, in, in perfect you know, cohesion, you know, it has to be perfectly timed so that you launch things and then you would have waterfall releases, which means, okay, I'm going to take three months and write code and then I'm going to run two months of, of QA testing because I don't have enough QA people. Okay, so now that's five months, but then I need to roll back. Okay, but now we're doing one or two releases a year for the entire platform. Who suffers? Our customers suffer. We can't deliver faster. Microservices solve that problem. Now, now microservices beget containers because containers are small packages and they work independently. Containers beget you know, uh, Kubernetes because I need a way to orchestrate all these things together. And that's what the ecosystem looks like. That's why microservices, containers, and Kubernetes are critical. End of the day, everything goes back to one single thing. People want to move faster in delivering new value to their customers. If that's not true, Nobody cares. I understand that making things work in perfect concert is not easy, but can you can you break that down a little bit more? Like, what is what is so complicated about deploying these apps on Kubernetes? What makes it complicated? So, at least twice a day, I get the same question from prospects. So, Kubernetes exists, man. I mean, I could run this. Uh, you know, I have this working on my laptop, or I can spin this up in Amazon. What do you do? Okay. So, all right, so let's talk through that, right? So, so there's Kubernetes, which is the engine, and then there's management of the engine. And that's where, that's where the pain is. So usually, and I, I show the slide where we're talking over a podcast, but you know, usually I show one slide to our customers, which has nothing to do with our company. It's just, it's just a bunch of technologies. So I tell them, okay, all right, so you got a cluster up and running. You think you're going to have one of them or more than one? Everybody says, okay, I'm going to have more than one. Okay. How do you know they all look the same? Okay, all right, we're gonna have we're gonna do this and we're gonna have this policy and we're gonna do, you know, set up this git model and okay, all right, so nobody's gonna do that work. All right, so now you have a cluster up. You want to upgrade them. How are you gonna do that? Well, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna okay, all right, so that's a workflow that you're gonna run. Okay, all right, good. you got solved, you got that solved now. All right, so how do you know your uh, your developers have access to only the developer clusters and not to the production cluster? Okay, that's done. How do you do auditing across all these? Okay, that's that, that, that. Okay, so now clusters are up. Auditing is done. Okay, so monitoring, logging, is that done? Okay, that's another thing. Well, now your applications are showing up. So what, how do you deploy applications again? Oh, yeah, you know, we, we're going to use Helm charts. Okay, all right. So then they're going to sit in a Git report. Where are they going to sit? Yeah, we, we would like for it to sit. So what's your GitOps plan? Yeah, we're going to have to do this, and we're going to do this. We're probably going to buy a product. Okay, well, that's another thing you're going to do. There's like 10, 12 different things that need to happen as a baseline. And I don't want to spend the next 10 minutes talking about this slide, but, but this is the problem, right? So it's just because you got a cluster up, 
or maybe two clusters of it. it doesn't mean anything. You got you, to make this run in production. There's a hand, handful of things that need to be done. And uh, of course you can do them, right? I mean, our customers are pretty sharp individuals, right? I mean, mostly our customers are, are, are very sophisticated individuals, uh, developers for the most part. But the, the, the really sharp ones, what they do also understand is that, hey, so the problem that I could solve this myself, I could build all this stuff. I can have a, two, three, four of my in, uh, colleagues have work with me. And, you know, six months from now, a year from now, I can build all of this stuff. But then here's the thing. You got to maintain it forever. Okay, so you own a product now. And here's the most interesting thing. I think this is the death knell to building things in-house. The problem you're going to solve, automation layer on top of Kubernetes, is the same problem your competitor is solving. It's the same problem that the, the company that run down the street is solving. It's the same problem that everybody else is solving. What is the upside of you solving it if this is effectively a commodity? And to be clear, commodity doesn't mean free. Commodity doesn't mean easy. Commodity just means everybody's got the same stuff, right? My platform is the same as your platform. What's the upside? Just buy it. The ROI is always like, you know, net positive if you buy something like this. In fact, usually the conversation is, okay, Mr. Customer, well, are you going to take, I don't know, let's call it a year, I don't know, two people. This would be very good. Maybe, you know, five, seven, ten people is usually the number, but, you know, nobody knows that they want, right? They all kind of feel like I can do this with like a couple of guys. Okay, fine. Two people, one year. What does that cost you to be right now? Our product, <laughs> and the question is: Are you going to pay that much uh, ongoing for a platform like ours? In fact, the, look the 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 smart money says even if you have to pay us more money, you should pay it because you're going to be up and running today versus in a year. But that's what we're selling. We're selling so Kubernetes exists, right? It, like for example, in Amazon, something called EKS, which is their Kubernetes service, it's it's brilliant. It's very well thought through. Google's GKE, GCP's GKE Kubernetes incredibly brilliant, just amazing work. Okay, but that's Kubernetes. How are you going to manage it? That's where the pain is. So our business, we're, we're in the Kubernetes market, but we're selling a Kubernetes management platform. I, I imagine like the opportunity cost there is huge when, when you're kind of comparing, like building something like this in-house versus um, using a platform like yours. What I find fascinating about the, our space is that, and, and this is what I really enjoy about my job as a sales guy, like our customers are, are so sharp, right? I mean, they, they know. I mean, it's, it's just a pleasure to be selling into this space. Uh, I think um, once once you, they just need information, right? So our job as salespeople or as you know, or sales engineers is really you know give as much information as possible to our customers so that they can make the right decision for their businesses. That's it, right? That's what it boils down to, and uh, that's what we do. So we show them the product, we give them access. It's it's a SaaS product, right? You can do whatever you want. Uh, they play with it. They ask questions. We are always here to support them from an enterprise support perspective. And when they are ready to go, you know, look, either they're going to decide I want to buy this now or I'm going to buy this later or not. And that's okay. It's completely their decision. But, you know, for the most part, many, many large organizations, and there's enough logos on our website now, have decided that, look, it's not in the interest of my business to go build this myself. I should buy this and just move faster because it all goes back to the same thing. I need to move faster. My apps are coming out faster, but then my infrastructure is not as malleable as it should be. That's a problem. How do I make my infrastructure go faster? Companies like Graphic and Top. Is there any particular like segment or industry that's poised to demonstrate a significant growth when it when it comes to using um, Kubernetes? 
so although the application seems to be pretty pretty horizontal, I mean we have like you know like a SaaS security company on the platform, we have a bunch of FinServe companies on the platform, we have healthcare companies on the platform. It seems it seems pretty broad, but I I, I would I would call out that there seems to be a whole lot of interest from financial services companies, which is which is fascinating to me over the last year or something has clearly changed in that industry. So we we certainly do go after you know, kind of, you know, make sure we get in front of as many kind of financial services companies as we can, because they seem to be, you know, focused on modernizing their traditional infrastructure. And that's a great opportunity. So, yeah, so there, there seems to be a whole lot of activity in the financial services space. But at the same time, we seem, we're seeing a whole lot of activity in the, in, the, in the healthcare vertical also. Even though products sometimes are horizontal, we have to focus as from a sales perspective, we have to pick a vertical. Uh, so right now, uh, our sales team definitely focuses on financial services and healthcare more. Yeah, and and they tend to be on kind of the cutting edge with technology. Next, like what are what are upcoming trends that you might be seeing for this market? My perspective is that container orchestration is not a new problem. There are companies who existed or teams who have existed who've been working on this for I don't know eight, nine, ten years now in various shapes or forms. This is, you know, many of the, the kind of the OGs in the space, they started before even Kubernetes was a thing. And then once Kubernetes became a thing, they they adopted it. In any industry, when the industry is new, the initial vendors, their job is to tell the world, this is a problem, right? Believe me, Mr. Customer, you need this, right? That's number one. And usually they're just trying to figure out how do I get this up and running? So we're past that now. So, at this point, kind of building a Kubernetes cluster is one example. It's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's sort of hard, but it's just, I mean, enough people have done it. It's just not that big of a deal. You can go to a public cloud, you can consume this as a service. And now that companies are modernizing, applications are going to production in an enterprise environment. There are these enterprise-grade requirements that are showing up. And I alluded to some of them when I was talking about, you know, what do I tell a customer? Have you thought about ABC, right? So, you know, logging and monitoring, governance, and, uh, you know, Strong role-based access control, uh, repeatability around uh, you know, infrastructure creation. Can I do simple backup and restore of my production clusters? This is where the market seems to be going. How do I truly move my you know traditional money-making applications that today run in production in a maybe monolith into this new modern infrastructure? And now the infrastructure must comply with the enterprise requirements that if you're doing this like as a toy in a corner, you don't need to worry about. Right now, security will get involved. Right now, compliance will get involved in a company. Have you thought about those things? So we're investing as much time as possible in 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 helping our customers, you know, do better governance of their applications, you know, better control of their applications, etc. And I think that's where the market is going. Orchestration is gonna, you know, look. We're, this market is going up, right? We're becoming, you know, we're putting on big boy plans. We're going after enterprise deals, and enterprises will expect us to meet certain bars. And uh, whoever understands and addresses those requirements elegantly, faster, it's gonna win this market. There's gonna be, I don't know, a handful, two, three winners in this space. I don't believe, in my opinion, this is not a winner-take-all market. But in the Kubernetes management space. It's going to be two or three vendors who are going to win. We're going to be big companies here. There are no big companies right now in this space. It's an early market. But given what we've built so far, we are on the right track. We just have to keep executing. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, you're kind of going after those big enterprise clients, and, and that makes sense. What What do you think the opportunities are for new market entrants, You know, people that are getting set up in this or that are kind of new to this space? 
this is what all of us here at Rafi truly believe. There is a set of activities, activities around the world. I mean, there's, there's work that a DevOps team does as it relates to automation for modern infrastructure across clouds or, you know, whatever situation happens to be. And the right platform here is going to understand that roadmap and one by one by one, take each of those workflows that today people do in their companies and productize them. So we started with a simple platform that is kind of, you know, bring up Kubernetes. Then we added RBAC. Then we added application management. Then we added GitOps pipelines. Then we added Terraform support. Then we added backup and restore. Boom, 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 boom. Right? Then we added secrets management, on and on and on. We have a five-year plan. We're not going to be done anytime soon because we would like to be that one-stop shop for our DevOps customers as they take their companies to the modern era, right? We want to be that company, right? Right now, as I see it, nobody in the market seems to have grogged that. Maybe they do, but they, they haven't actually launched anything that truly steps back and thinks about what is what is it that that happens in the day of life of a DevOps engineer or a year in a DevOps engineer's life? Let's go automate everything so that they can focus on value for the company and don't they don't need to spend time on this silly stuff, right? Like day to day, something breaks, something this happens. No, they should be focusing on more important things for the company, where the company will make more money. Kubernetes management isn't it. They should just rely on people like us. We're going to solve that problem for them. We're going to be their partner. We're going to, we got this for you. It's, and I tell my customers this all the time. When you, when you, when you sign up for an account with Rafe, it's like you hired a guy named Rafe. Comes with 50 people behind him. But you hired a guy named Rafe. Right? So you used to do this job, we got it for you now. You go focus on more important things. But that's a five-year plan. We have a lot, a lot of work to do. Already we have a great product. We are far ahead of any of our competitors in this space, but we have so much more work to do. Let's hear more about uh, you and your company. So what's the story behind starting your company? So I, I mentioned earlier in this call that uh, you know uh, we sort of had this pain in our previous startup and we ended up here. So. Um, before this, I used to work at a large company called Akamai. Akamai is a CDN, very well-rounded company. I really enjoyed my time there. We ended up at Akamai through an acquisition. So the previous startup I was in with, rather, was acquired by Akamai. And uh, you know, I spent some time there afterwards. Many of my colleagues are still there. Uh, and the product we built, which was a software-defined perimeter product, it's flourishing at Akamai. Very happy to see that. That was a security company and infrastructure was sort of like a, like our DevOps in particular. I think that was sort of like a, a an afterthought because we were security guys uh, and we didn't spend as much time as we should on thinking about DevOps. And we all used to think, this is easy, right? Just write a bunch of scripts. How hard is this? Uh, it's pretty hard. It's really painful. And that was, that was, a, that was a pretty interesting experience, right? Because all of us kind of felt the pain. Lot, lots of... Lots of three in the morning, something fell apart and, you know, people are being, you know, woken up and all kinds of bad things happened. And that was the impetus for us to think about this problem in the first place. So our prior experience led us here. In fact, in the previous company, before that company, I'd spent some time working on some proxy stuff like load balancing and some of the things like that. And that experience had led to the previous company. So, so far, you know, some pain that one experiences leads one to think about, okay, well, uh, somebody should address that pain and that has become a company. I guess uh, at some point in the future, I don't know, five, six, seven years down the line, maybe we'll have a cathartic moment when we think about the some pain that we experience at Rafe that's going to help us think about, well, maybe we should go solve that next. I don't know. We'll see. But that's been, that's been happening. 
right? So yeah, just we think about uh, what we worked on in the past and what worked, what didn't work, and that's kind of allowed us as a group. I keep saying us and we because it's not just me. You know, my co-founder who I've, I've been working with for 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 many years now, many of our key architects who were you know junior guys many years ago. You know, went beyond the years, but now they're super senior guys, right? They've been with us for many years, so we do this together. This is a this is a team effort, and hopefully, it continues to be that way. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to the team uh, just in a second, but first, uh, I mentioned earlier I wanted to talk about the timing. You think you know now is the right time for this company? What's changed in technology or platforms or, or customer behavior that is sort of leading to this um, now being the right time? Timing is how do you get timing right? I don't know, right? I, maybe maybe it's all in hindsight. Maybe it's all hindsight, right? I don't know. You 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 start and then you're gonna see. I think you you know you have assumptions and sometimes you you are too early. Sometimes you're too late. Sometimes you're just right. In in our previous company, in in hindsight now, we were a couple of years ahead of the market. You, how do you know? You don't know, right? It's just kind of it's you you start and then you know you kind of see how play things play out. In this case. Two years ago, arguably, I was worried that maybe we were too late because that's what, like, wow, this 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 company exists and this company exists and this company exists. But and as we talked to customers, it was clear to us that those traditional products were designed for a very different kind of audience, a very sophisticated uh, audience. Like, uh, you know, they, they design a product for like Google or Netflix, and that's fine, it's very good, right? But in a typical enterprise, anybody in infrastructure, right? This this is not what they do all day long, right? They have 20, 30, 40 other things to do also. So for them to kind of stop everything and now become a Kubernetes expert, not just one person, but 10 people, it, it's not going to happen, right? They're too busy, right? So they need things that can help them move faster without having to become experts at this new thing. Because tomorrow, what if Kubernetes goes away? Maybe it'll, it'll be something else. So that was that was the insight. Okay, all right. We need better, better or uh, maybe simpler turnkey workflows to help my customers, you know, kind of move faster and think of this as, you know, seven, eight, nine different things they do on a daily basis. Each one of them make it a product effectively on a platform. That was the insight. And that's what we built. But what is timing here? Look, timing is, uh, you know, in the last two years, I don't know, I've been kicked out of, I don't even know, 300 enterprises. We, we were selling our product before we had a product, right? But the, the best thing you can do for your company is go talk to people. Uh, oh my God, the number of companies we've talked to uh, over the over the last three years. But what's interesting is, even two years ago, and and I'll, I'll give you the best example. So so on the last day of the last quarter, quarter ending four thirty, we closed a deal with a with a very high tech company in the Bay Area, uh, whose CIO I had met I don't know like a year and a half ago, and I told him this starry eyed idea about what we're going to build and how it's going to magically make things easy. You know what this guy said to me? He said, "Sounds awesome. We don't need it. We already solved this problem." Thank you for your time. No, they didn't, right? I mean, over time, as and and, and as they as we made progress, as they made progress, we kept in touch. And at some point, they said, "Wow, this is awesome. We have this one specific problem that your product clearly addresses. Let's talk." And they bought a product. They they they, they worked with us. So, did I time it right, or did I just stay on the customer? It's just diligence. <laughs> we just stayed with them, right? We called them, called them, called them, stayed in touch, and eventually they said, "All right, okay, all right. There's enough info, enough now for us to make, to buy." So I think that's what we we've we've done pretty good at in this company. Obviously, we have to be lucky, right? Luck. I'll take luck any day of the, uh, you know over 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 scale, but we've been very very lucky, right? But at the same time, I think we built a a rigor in the system where 
we are we're just out there, right? We're not afraid for, of the nose. Enough people have said no's, but then they all come back. Not all, but many of them come back. Yeah, okay, just stay with it, right? I think that's the distinction. I mean, every every entrepreneur understands and appreciates that you will hear no's and it is what it is. It's okay, right? Keep going. It's okay. Enough people say no, but there's no no. In my mind, there's never no, nothing, there's no no. Everything is maybe later. I never hear no's. My, my ears don't hear no's. Everything is maybe later. Okay, I'll come back and politely ask again later. I'll call you next week. You know, and some people, sometimes people say things like, okay, you know what? We don't need this right now. Call me in six months. No, man, I'll call you in call in two weeks, just to be sure. What if something changes? Right, or email. I don't mean to call every time. But, you know, but we have to be open and, uh, you know, reachable and uh, make sure our customers are aware of what's happening and they have all the information they need. Because I think in this new market, and this is, this is uh, in fact, uh, something that I've realized that I don't think I ever thought about before or like something to think about. When the customer is, particularly when the customer is this sophisticated as, uh, as an engineer as they are in our, in our case, we don't convince them to buy anything. They take the information we give them and they come to the conclusion, they reach the point of clarity that yes, this is going to make my situation better. There's no forcing anybody to buy anything. There's no commitment, nothing. No, it doesn't work that way. It's just you show them enough and they go, okay, I see how this can help my situation and my company's situation. Let's talk. That's what needs to happen. So then you have to be in a position where you keep providing information. Because the goal, the purpose of this is not to sell. The purpose of this is to get them to a point of clarity that your product is the right product for their situation. That's it. Just that frame of mind is what's allowing us to keep moving at the, at the pace we're moving. I love that approach. It it's, makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it sounds like it's working. But but next, let's talk about the team. We said we would talk about the team next. So uh, who are the people that you've sort of put together here um, that, that make up uh, Rafay? Many of the, the, the team members are, are folks who worked with us in the past. My co-founder, he's our head of engineering operations. So we've, we've been, uh, been kind of you know working on various things for some time now together. Uh, but then no company is going to make fast progress if you don't have some level of you know, kinda, you know, new blood, right, as it were. Right? You, you have to have new ideas come into the, into the system. Like our head of products, so his last job was he was the VP of product management in a company called Okta. It's a very, very successful single sign-on company. He ran a big team there and he showed up here and you know he's like the one guy in product management. He's writing PRDs and he's writing our documentation and incredibly hands-on. He's the SE, right? But he brings with him this incredible perspective about SaaS and how people buy. And you know, and I think without him having joined, I don't think we'd be we'd be where we are now. We wouldn't have made the progress we've made. No way, not a chance. Because he, in addition to obviously building a great product, what he also figured out is that he had, you know, traditional systems engineers or sales engineers, I don't think they can do this job. We need a very different kind of technical person in a sales call. We need engineers. So, so he thought about what, what, what kind of person you would need. And between him and, and the rest of the team, they, they figured out that, and here's something creative, uh, the best solution architects, they've been QA engineers before. Two engineers are not afraid of anything. They'll break anything. And even if it breaks, it's fine. No problem. They'll figure it out. Right? So they have, they have no fear. Okay. So we look, we look for that now. Right? So we've had uh, people join, like, you know, our head of products is Rohan. You know, he joined from a very different background. Our head of marketing, he's been at like companies like Clearwell and Proofpoint. So he's a very interesting background. One guy doing so much work. And uh, he's what a great job he's done in presenting the company, telling the story. I mean, just our websites are pretty, he's done a great job. 
I, I think we've, we've found a, a bunch of really driven individuals who are all very senior, but they all are hands-on. And they know full well that a year from now, they won't be hands-on because we'll have teams around them because, you know, this will be a bigger company. And they will easily be able to do that job also because they've done it before. So finding that perfect fit of a senior person, and not this applies not just to marketing products, also to our, our engineering organization, hands-on people who have experienced managing large organizations in the past, who are doing everything now on their own, and then slowly, one by one by one, we're kind of you know, building teams around them, right? So that the company scales and they scale also. Finding that kind of person is so hard. And I can definitely hear we got lucky. We found a great team at every level. Like our sales guys are just what a, what a great, great job they're doing, product management, marketing, and of course, engineering. Right? Just, you know, you, a lot of things have to be right, right, for you to win. A lot of things have to work, just work, right? And uh, that seems to be true for our company. Next, let's, let's look under the hood of your product. Could you describe the essence of your SaaS offering? So at a very, very high level, it sort of, it does three things for our customers. There's lots of features, three things at the top. It helps them manage the lifecycle of the infrastructure. Kubernetes, you know, stuff that it runs on top of, et cetera. Second, it helps with the lifecycle of the application. Okay, so developers running code. The code needs to get uh, you know kind of somehow shipped into a cluster and then you know turn it on and the developers get access etc. Do that. And the third thing is it helps the sort of the central IT organization govern these environments, right? So ensure that uh, the environments are reasonably safe. There's auditing built in, right? Just kind of enterprise grade uh, requirements that every enterprise will have for their their modern application infrastructure. So cluster lifecycle management, application lifecycle management governance. That's what our platform is built on top of. And we keep adding capabilities to address, you know, each of these three buckets. When did you start the company? We started writing code early, what is January of 2018 is when we started writing code. Okay. So a little older than three years you've been around. So what are some of the key milestones? I'm going to ask you to kind of look back along the journey and uh, yeah, what are some of the key milestones you've achieved in those last three years and where do you stand today? I think the, the the ones that matter the most, right, are we have something to sell and then somebody actually decided to buy. What else matters in a company like this? So, so we have been selling now for selling something that is that will actually kind of, you know, the, that, that works, like truly works for five quarters, uh, four to five quarters. You know, first first couple of quarters, you know, we, have, we had a product, you know, we, we were also learning, right, how to explain what it is and, you know, what are the words that make sense, et cetera. And we did that, I would argue, for the first, you know, I don't know three quarters and the last two quarters we've been selling as like a truly professional sales organization. You know, we, we seem to be growing pretty fast given that the sales team is still pretty small. We're growing very, very fast. You know, we hit our, I don't know, first uh, bookings-wise million-dollar number in our first quarter in business, you know, when we had nothing going on. From a you know from an infrastructure perspective on the sales side, no, it's just it's, market is really hot, right? So it's, it's been it's been great, and uh, you know we, along the way we raised money, we raised a seed round a long time ago, we raised a, uh, a round in uh, in May of twenty nineteen, which has actually has been two years now. But look, I mean, you know, I mean the the only metrics that 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 I track fundamentally are you know the the, the size of the organization and the, the customer count. You know, these are the things that are important to me. They seem to be important to the team. Because every time we close a deal, that's a big deal for our, for for our team. You know, we talk about it. We 
So as an aside, every second Wednesday, we, you know, we have a lot of course meetings and a lot of these hands, all hands and whatnot, but every second Wednesday, we do kind of an open mic session. Anybody can ask anything. We just talk, just talk, no, no agenda, just talk, they open up a zoom and people from all over the world join and we just talk. And uh, you know what they all want to talk about? That one POC we did last week, what happened? Nobody's got questions about funding, maybe here and there. Mostly they want to understand, okay, so what do customers think about the stuff we built? Do they like it? Is it something missing? Can we make it better? That customer's not happy, why not? That's what they care about. And that customer-focused mentality seems to be really helping. And that's why I kind of say, look, I mean, the things that are important to us are, are people buying? <laughs> and uh, right now the answer is, yeah, man. Uh, it's a great product. Uh, people are buying. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, that, that, that sounds like an awesome kind of ritual that you guys have and uh, a, a focused team to do something like that. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure at how many companies are meeting with no agenda, how well that would fly over. Um, but if it works, it works. What are, what are some of the biggest challenges uh, that you still need to address as a company? Yeah, look, this is a noisy market. Um, you know, we, we, have, uh, we are a new company in a, in a noisy space, so there's a lot of work to be done towards making sure that the world is aware of a solution like this, right? You can put the, you know, you, you, you can, you know, you can paint the perfect painting, but if you, you know, if you, if it's parked in your shed, right, nobody's ever going to see it. So there's a lot of work to be done in, in getting the world out, making sure the world is aware. And of course, these things take time, it takes money. But the good news is, you know, our partners, like you know, Amazon being a great partner to us, AWS specifically, you know, the, uh, we're in their marketplace and, uh, you know, their their sales teams are putting us with our customers. So a lot of these things are working gently, slowly. But if there's one thing that I spend a lot of time thinking about is, you know, there are, there are the deals we get into, we win. But the deals that we don't get into, we lose. <laughs> we're not there. So how do we fix that? Right. So there are deals that are happening where we're not aware the deal is happening. And the customer probably is not aware that, you know, that there's a solution called Rafi out there. And that's okay, right? We're an early company, you know, it just takes time. But, uh, but that's something that we are presently obsessing over as to how to fix that problem or solve that problem, right? How do we scale? How do we, you know, how do we tune SEO, et cetera? So that's, that's where, you know, that's a problem that we have to solve and we are presently uh, addressing it, like, you know, in a very material way. I'll give you an example. If you type Kubernetes in, in Amazon, right? I don't know. Uh, six, nine months ago, we would, I don't even know if we showed up in the first 10 pages of Google. Now we're pretty high up there. Not on the first page yet, but we got to work on that. But this is, this is kind of right now, product solid, right? I mean, we seem to have a clear story. The, the, the messaging seems to work quite well. It, now we need to get it in front of more and more enterprises so we can help them. How are you reaching your customers today? What's your like go-to-market strategy? Uh, we work with a number of partners. Amazon being certainly one of them, and we have we have a number of others. We do a lot of calling, <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people say, you know, calling doesn't work anymore. No, it, it works just fine. You just have to do it. You have to do it more. So we do a lot of that, and uh, you know, we found. In fact, with the most creative thing we found that seems to work is you know we do a bunch of these kind of. Webinar is the wrong word, but you know, just these sessions where anybody can show up and learn about some new technology or some new problem or how to do GitOps better in Amazon, et cetera. So these, you know, these just kind of education sessions that the team has been uh, orchestrating every few weeks, two, two weeks or so we have these sessions. Right. So that's giving us a lot of visibility in the market. And that seems to have grown our inbound like significantly. So, you know, this goes back to the conversation about 
this market being filled with buyers who are you know pretty sophisticated they understand the space and they just they're looking for information so we're doing uh, uh, you know uh, a really good job getting them the information they're looking for and that's helping us with credibility and then they're reaching out the inbound is is has been has been pretty powerful so you mentioned you know the the partnership with AWS that's pretty major can you talk about you know what that's done for you and if you've uh, managed to score any other uh, partnerships worth mentioning can you talk about maybe the strategy behind that so we have another one that's public which is with Verizon so Verizon launched towards the end of the year they, they announced uh, a platform called Application Edge which is a managed Kubernetes offering for edge and multi cloud which is which is which has been uh, developed in partnership with Rafael that's a pretty big one for us. Um, you know, Verizon has been a great partner. Um, you know, they're they're slowly, steadily putting us in front of a bunch of customers. So there's a number of other such partnerships that we have in place that are that are not public yet. But suffice it to say, you know, certainly these you know these partnerships are a, a great way for you know kind of revenue acceleration because you know we see we bring a sound platform, a great platform to the market. But the the channels that the likes of Verizon can bring to bear, you know, with the right platform, right, they make money, and of course the customers are happy. So we're doing a bunch of those for sure. And how do you make money? We sell. It's a consumption based model. So we charge per cluster under management, and then we charge for support. It's very simple. Yeah, that was that was quick. Uh, usually people take a long time to answer the question, but simple is good. We're kind of getting towards the end here, so uh, this might be the last question. Uh, and as we close, kind of looking back on, on this whole journey, do you have any advice maybe for young entrepreneurs who are just getting started? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe not in your space, but just any kind of um, startup entrepreneur. This is all really hard. It's, it's, it's really hard, right? No, it's just, it's, my God. Uh, no, not the question, by the way. I'm talking about just the life, right? I'm saying this is... This is my advice. This is really hard. Are you sure you want to do this? In, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you something. So, any anybody who, who at least I interview, uh, who is joining our team, I, I this has kind of become my shtick, man. I, I say this to everybody, so pardon me, but uh, I tell them, hey, man, look, I mean, you're going to work here. You're going to work longer hours than you did in your previous job. Your spouse is going to be pretty ha- unhappy with you. Spouse, whatever, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend. I'm telling you, man, you're going to work really hard. And I don't know, man, you're probably going to make less money. And it's a startup, right? So I don't know if it's going to be successful. I hope it is successful, but what if it isn't? I don't know. Like, why, why, why do you want this job again? What we, why, why, why do you want to do this? Right? And what I'm looking for is not things like, well, you know, my buddies are working in startups and making money. Or that, they, that guy went to this other company and they had a success. Like, okay, man, you're going to be very disappointed in this job. Don't do it. Because nine times out of ten, it doesn't work, right? So you, the motivation has to be something along the lines of, "Look, I, I, I've thought about it, and uh, you know, a startup's going to help me accelerate my career, or this is a problem space that I really want to be in, and I can learn some, something, right?" And look, it's okay to for for the answer to be a little bit selfish, but that look, I really want to learn. I'm going to take two years, and I'm going to learn everything there's to learn about Kubernetes, as at least in our in our case. And then you know what? I may leave, Hasib, and it is. It look okay, fine. It's okay. Right, I mean, people leave. It is what I mean. We hope you don't, but it's okay, right? Because in the process, you're going to learn a lot, but we're also going to get a lot of value, right? And of course, we're we're paying money, but fundamentally, you are helping us be successful as an engineer or whatever your job is going to be. So, so think about that. This is a really, really hard job. 
Um, and it's even harder for the for the entrepreneurs to start it because you know whatever idea you have, nine nine times out of ten people are going to tell you this is a silly idea. I had see, I had a VC, or like tell me like a couple of years ago. He said, "Hey man, look, I talked to a lot of developers, and uh, I'm not really sure about this company because all the developers I talked to are telling me that containers at the edge is just not a thing. So I'm not sure about your business, man." And I was just like shell shocked. Like, what is this guy talking about? But man, all kinds of people say all kinds of things, right? It's okay, right? Water off a duck's back. It's okay. Move on, right? The thickness of your skin, the you know the that that is needed to do this, the just the the energy that you need to do this, it's taxing. And particularly for family, look, I have a wife, I have two kids, and uh, make sure your spouse is completely okay with that. Be absolutely sure that your spouse understands what you're signing up for, because it's not you; it's your family signing up for this. And, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, I've, I've been very lucky. My wife is very, very supportive. Uh, I, I deserve all the time she gets mad at me because I do do crazy things. I, I don't spend as much time as I should on things. But no, these are things that are important. Look, it's a hard job. You know, those magical outcomes may or may not happen. Work life is tough, which means your family life is going to be tough. Just think through this stuff. So then why would you do this at all? Man, you better believe in whatever you're working on. You better, like, truly believe. Don't say, well, you know, I'm building like, Uber Eats for X. So because Uber Eats was successful, I'm going to say, no, 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 no. It has, like, you have to truly believe. And if you don't believe, because it's going to be so hard along the way, enough people will say to you, you're an idiot. Why are you doing this? This is a crazy idea, whatever. You have to believe. If you don't believe, don't do it. All right, Asip, thank you. Before we get out of here, what's the best way for our listeners uh, to maybe reach you and learn more about Rafe? So the website is rafe.co not com, C-O. Lots and lots of content on the website. The documentation is awesome. Uh, even if you don't end up using a product, our documentation is going to help you if you're going to be in the in the orbit of Kubernetes. And uh, we maintain a pretty healthy uh, Twitter handle. It's Rafe Systems INC Inc., where we talk a whole lot about just the problem set, the market, et cetera, that you're going to find useful. And my handle on Twitter is Hasib Badani. So first name, last name, one word. Look forward to interacting with folks uh, as they make progress in their modernization journey. Well, we're going to end the podcast there. If you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and send us your feedback to info at angelnears.com. Hasib, thank you for joining the show. We appreciate your time and you sharing your story with our listeners. Oleg, really enjoyed it, my friend. Look forward to doing this again soon. 